are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. Welcome to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. Nick View, what in the name of a rusty bear greenie have you been up to, brother? <laughs> You're leading right <laughs> off with that, aren't you? I, 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 you know what? I'm, I'm pretty good. Um, I, <laughs> the resurrection of the bear greenie. Um, the infamous bear greenie. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing, uh, I'm doing pretty good, man. It's cold though. It is so cold. It's been a, it's been a couple episodes too, hasn't it? Or one episode? It feels well, like it's been it's, longer than that. It's only been one episode, but then with uh, various things that were going on last week, we. I don't even remember what it was now, but we couldn't we couldn't get synced up on a night to record, so we just kind of let one slide for the week. But uh, yeah, it hasn't. I, I say it hasn't been. It's it hasn't been brutally cold here, but I will tell you, I I went out. Our we I still have one uh, property that I can hunt that the season doesn't end until the last day of this month, and I have not had a chance to go. Just been just too many things going on and works just had me buried. Um, so last, uh, I guess Saturday, this past Saturday, I said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to go out. I had a few things I needed to do in that morning. So I went out that afternoon and I was, I mean, I wasn't like unbearably cold, but I was pretty cold. And by the time I went to climb out of the tree, I was, I was really cold. But the whole time I was sitting there, I was thinking, you know, I've taken three does off this property already this year, and I really don't want to shoot another doe. And my luck, if a buck did come by, I'd shoot the buck, and before it finished its death run, it would knock both the antlers off its freaking head, and I'd be ticked about that. And I thought, why am I sitting out here freezing my butt off? So <laughs> I, I texted Brandon uh, that night to see what he had going on Sunday. Um, I was going to see if he mind carrying his metal detector up there and looking for that broadhead that I lost on the, uh, I guess it was the third doe. Anyway, we never did find it. He probably spent a couple of hours looking for it, but while I was up there, I went ahead and pulled. I had three, let's say one, two. No, there was a total of four stands out that I pulled, three that I had actually kind of hunted some, moved around over the course of the season. And I even pulled that stand that you hunted, uh, that, that property up in Gainesville the last time you hunted with me. Um, it had, it had grown to the tree last year and I just got frustrated and left it. So, uh, Brandon brought a set of bolt cutters and brought that sucker down with me. So I already know where it's going back next year, but I got to do a little work on it. So that was the, uh, the one at the, uh, the club. Yeah. That was the one that you were in that, that pine tree that was the, right the, there on the edge of the, the ravine where the wind likes to blow nice. And <laughs> that was fun. The tight lock or whatever that, that yeah. uh, lock on. Lock on the lock on, which, yeah. uh, yeah, that was a fun, that was a fun one. Um, you were the last one to hunt it out of that stand. Nobody's hunted out of that stand since I was there. No, I, I, um, the, the year that you hunted out of it, I think I took two out of that stand and then I, I left it for the rest of the season until you were here and then you hunted it. And after that, there wasn't any cover. Remember it was kind of open. Yeah, uh, it was just starting to open up really when you were here, and then you know after you were gone, it, all the leaves came off, and it just wasn't worth hunting. And uh, I can't remember why I didn't pull it. There was a reason I didn't pull it that fall, and then when I went back the next year because it would it had grown to the tree, I just I didn't trust it, so I just didn't I just didn't hunt it. Hmm. 
Now, uh, when you when you told me it was cold, are you ashamed to tell me what the degrees were? Do you know what the temperature was? Uh, upper twenties. <laughs> upper. Uh, I mean, yeah, I know that's that's cold for here. I know it's colder there, but well, that's cold hunting though. I mean, I'm not. It's negative seven here, but I'm not hunting in it. Right. So, you know, it I don't was... even want to go outside with it right now. Yeah, it was you know low tw- uh, upper twenties, and it got up. I want to say it got up into the into the upper forties, maybe even close to fifty degrees. Um, but you know, once the once the sun got past you know like three o'clock in the afternoon, it it dropped pretty quick. There was a pretty good wind blowing, um, and I mean, I like I said, I hadn't been out since the last time I'd been out was Christmas Eve. So, I mean, I've been sitting in a warm house all this time and just hadn't been out much at all. So that made it worse. You know, if you're going out in it on a regular basis, you get acclimated to it. It doesn't bother you as much. But when you're yeah, sitting we've in been, a warm uh, house, it's a little different. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, you know, I finished I finished out here and had a couple really nice sits. Um, I found some neat little spots and a place I hadn't hunted all year. And um, I've been taking Aubrey back there um, on the weekends to hike back there. And we've been walking Jada back there, our dog, because she's, you know, she's a warm weather dog and I'm trying to get her used to the, used to the cold. And that's been a lot of fun taking her out there and, and walking Jada back there and, and just seeing where all the, all the deer are walking and, and what they're doing right now. And, you know, we go look for like bird nests and stuff and, and wildlife and Aubrey really digs it out there. So I'm happy to take her whenever we can, but, um, the last few sets of the season were really enjoyable, and that was too. It just really dipped this week, like bad. So right now it's not very it's not very nice going out. Um, but yeah, that's honestly that's been my outdoor activity, man. Um, you know, you guys get more more time in the woods than we do as far as hunting goes, uh, which I'm always kind of jealous of, to be honest with you, but. Um, well, to a, a good point, season. I don't know that that's a good thing. I've been thinking about that a good bit, and I think I've got a, a potential um, guest that I'm going to try to talk to next week or so to see if he's willing to come on and actually have a conversation about these late seasons. I'm just, I don't know, I'm a bit torn about them. Um, but we'll save that for another episode. Yeah, you know, and as far as ours is concerned, I think I'd like one more week. I think that would be great, yeah. just to have one more weekend out there. Um, but yeah, man, um, otherwise, you know, looking forward to, uh, to things coming up, the expo is coming up this weekend. I'm not, I can't go this year. Um, going to miss that, miss seeing everybody. Um, I already got a bow at GLLI, so it's not like I, and arrows, so it's not like I need anything right now. Um, but I always miss it. And the MLA is going to set up their youth booth, youth, uh, booth there. They always do. So they'll be there this weekend. And then you got and, the banquet coming up in a couple of And then of we weeks got too. the banquet coming up. And I think next weekend is the rabbit hunt that me, Rob, and John, and Jamie, and all the all the boys do every year. Um, I don't think John and Jamie can join us this year, but I think me, Rob, John Mudry, and a bunch of other people are going to go out and have fun. We never, we never kill a squirrel or anything. We just <laughs> we ended up just losing our arrows and... Then we get to go in so, and have so, coffee. So and, squirrel or fair game while you're rabbit hunting? Is that what you're saying? It's it's <laughs> it's squirrel and fair. Yeah, we haven't killed a squirrel or a rabbit. In fact, we 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 had the probably the best time we ever had last time we did this, and we had a couple videos of it that were just really quick and fun. But we just 
the whole time when we were standing around there talking and there was a squirrel in the crack of the tree behind us the entire time. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, and that's pretty much all it is. It's a social thing. And we like to go back there and they have a raffle and they make chili and um, hot dogs and chili dogs and, and all kinds of desserts and coffee. And it's just a good time. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully nothing comes up where I can't do that. Um, Jess is just having a hard time keeping the pool staffed right now. So it's, it's been, you know, whatever, but maybe I can even pack the kids along with me if that that doesn't work out. Although Kenzie wouldn't like that too much. She's not much of an outdoors person as far as that's concerned. Um, but yeah, what, what you've been up to otherwise, man, what you got coming up? Work. That's just work. No, coming up, um, so, uh, this weekend I'm actually going to, uh, well, unless something changes, I'm going to head down and, um, spend the day with my good buddy, Billy Hudson, a uh, guy that used to run Flatwoods Custom Boats. Yeah. He, he kind of stopped doing that, but, um, you know, he got, he's the one that tracked down that, uh, TC contender that I got with the, uh, 375 JDJ. I'm going to head down and. Spend a day shooting that with him. He picked up another um, TC contender frame for me. It's a the, the one I have is a Gen Two, and I told him that I wanted to find a Gen One, and he found me one. So he's got that. I'm gonna pick that up, um, and it's got a 357 Bain and Davis, which I've never shot either. Barrel on it, which is basically a, a 44 Magnum neck down to 357, and then I've got the 44 Magnum barrel that our good friend Ryan Tucker sent me a while back. So I'm going to probably carry that one along and, and uh, do something I haven't done in quite a few years. Spend some time shooting some hand cannons. And if I know Billy, he'll bring a bunch of other stuff that we'll end up shooting rifles and, and otherwise. So that'll be a fun day. And then uh, Sunday, I've got um, probably going to spend a few hours with uh, – Gene Bramlett and his wife, uh, Sunday morning. And I'm thinking Sunday afternoon, I'm going to, I'm going to hit some trout water somewhere. I haven't decided where yet. I don't know if I'll hit the hooch or if I'll head up. Uh, we've got a really nice delayed harvest, uh, stream less than 30 minutes from my house. Um, well, you know where it's at. It's the Amicalola river, uh, up, up where, um, uh, you've been across it. It, it runs through the, uh, city of Atlanta track on Dawson Forest, which was that big track of land we hunted the first year you and Tom came down where the chiggers got you. Um, <laughs> yeah. I so that. anyway, I don't know. Uh, one of those two places, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to hit this weekend. Uh, next weekend, uh, right now I'm thinking I'm going to actually spend some time up in North Carolina. My, um, my middle daughter is due any day now to have her first child. And oh. this week my my dad had a bit of a, a health issue, um, so I, I want to go up and try to see all three of them, and next weekend is kind of the first weekend that I've got wide open that I can do so. So, And by then, we'll be recording another, another episode, and I can talk about whatever's going on then, but we do have the hog hunt coming up the week of the 14th, too, so a lot going that, on. That sounds a lot of fun, man. Um, I wish I could get in the water soon. I mean, I could but I'm not going right now. And again, I'm not really big into the fishing this kind of, this time of year yet, but I am going to get back into tying. Um, I'm really getting the urge to tie right now. Um, right in tying. That's pretty much what I'm doing as it gets this cold. So, 
so yeah, looking forward to uh, looking forward to all that. And uh, speaking of, speaking of fly fishing, we got a good topic this week, don't we? Yeah, I think so. Um, and we probably should jump into that and get that started quicker than you can dull a bear greenie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Those don't dull, Steve. Uh, uh, you know what? They come out of the package just shaving sharp. I mean, like a scalpel. And from what I read on Facebook, you can shoot those things through a chain link fence that's been ceramic coated and they will come out just as sharp as they went in. Bleeder um, or no bleeder or no bleeder. Man, we don't need no stinking bleeders. Those things won't, are so won't. deadly. I don't know why people put bleeders on them. It's like overkill, <laughs> man. Um <laughs> Ventil- ventilated so it sounds like death when the deer's coming. They just uh, drop over from the sound. I swear if I pull up Facebook and go into traditional hunting, there's there's a there's a bear greedy post within the top three posts every day. But we said we weren't going to get into that. So y'all um, are insane, we, though. I'm just going to say that. That's we, all I'm going to say. You're we, insane. We actually had a, a gentleman uh, on our uh, on the traditional outdoors community group that posted a question sometime last week, I think, and then followed it up later. Uh, his name's Carl Ward. So, Carl, I hope you don't hope me uh, calling you out here on the podcast or, or giving you a shout out. But he was asking about he's you know he wanted to get into to fly fishing and was asking you know what's a a good rod reel setup. And you know we've talked about this before, and I think we even got into it a little bit either with um, uh, Scott Spray or um, oh wow I'm just drawing a blank on his name Mortensen. Uh, what's his first name? No, it doesn't oh, matter. Man. Oh, I man. can't remember. The fiberglass <laughs> manifesto. I can't fiberglass remember. Fiberglass manifesto. Yeah. Uh, sorry, buddy. But anyway, um, you know, so I, I think we were talking about, it. we just said, you know, it'd be a good idea to spend a little time and we can kind of walk through it and really look at it from a perspective of what, you know, anyone should have if they want to try to start fly fishing, uh, kind of like the, the bare minimums and we'll go into each component a little bit and talk about it. I'm not going to get into, uh, and you might, I'm not planning on getting into specific brands and recommending specific brands, just really kind of what to look for. I think, um, it may mention a few brands, especially with the rods. Cause I think the rod, uh, part is a bit more of a challenge to find a quality rod at a decent price. I, but, I agree, and I think a lot of a lot of different brands are known for different things and build for different audiences. So, it, it, if we do when we do get into that, that'll be why. But yeah, so maybe we just maybe we start there. So let's just let's just start with the rod. I think that the the rod may be the hardest part, and I think you know the first thing I will say is. I'm probably going to focus more on trout and panfish for this episode. Um, it's And the main reason for me is it's it's what I've got the most experience with. You know, I've caught some bigger fish on a fly rod. I've caught, I've caught bass on a fly rod. I've caught the biggest thing I ever caught was a, a and I don't remember the size of it, but it was pretty big, was a sheep's head. Um, and was in a, you know, a fairly small um, uh, boat fishing under a some um, bridge pilings and, you know, we just let that thing pull the boat around for a while. I mean, it oh was, man, you you had to have had fun doing that because those things fight like bluegill. Yeah, it was it was when well, now this was saltwater sheep's head. Oh, I've never heard of soft uh, saltwater it, sheep's head. Yeah, this was saltwater sheep's head. So uh, it it it's like um, well, all to me, all saltwater fish are like freshwater fish on steroids. But it's like a 
it's like a really big panfish. Uh, I, it's hard to explain, yeah. but they're, they're, you know, they it was definitely a, a fight. Um, but anyway, the, the trout and the panfish again is what I have the most experience with. I've spent the most time doing it. Um, if you're going to skimp on anything, I don't think the rod is the place you really want to skimp. Now, that being said, my opinion is you don't need to go out and spend four and $500 on, on your first fly rod. If you can afford it, have at it, but you don't really need to. But I do think there's a, there's a sweet spot really of finding a quality rod that will serve you well, that you can cast. Um, and while it might not be the best rod on the planet, it's not going to be, it's, it's not going to be a, um, a rod that just frustrates you learning how to fish and so forth. Not to mention the fact of being heavy or, or, or not being durable. Um, so I would say my personal thought is the sweet spot is the, you shouldn't go below $150 and you don't need to go over say 300, 350, let's say 350 to get a really good quality fly rod. That's my thoughts. I'd love to hear yours. And then we can throw a few, like I said, I don't mind throwing a few brands out there that people can look at, but I don't want to get into a lot as far as brands. No, I think you, I think you said it perfectly. Um, and I think you started off where you needed to start as well. Um, the first thing you need to do is identify what you're going to fish. Absolutely. What, what got you into a fly rod in the first place? If you're going for small stream trout or you're going for steelhead, obviously there's a big difference between the two, or if you're down South and going snook and tarpon versus, you know, something else, I mean, you're going to have to plan for that. And that, that plays into the action and that plays into the weight and the length and everything else. Um, when I started, I was into, I, I pretty much just wanted to catch river trout. You know, that's it. Brown trout, rainbows, some stream stuff. I didn't need anything all that heavy. And when I started, um, I went rod fishing with, uh, with, uh, Bob bones and he got a five weight and I was thinking about a five weight. And by a quirk of fate, really, they didn't have a five weight in the price range I was looking for. And I ended up with a four and I'm actually really glad I got a four. And when you mentioned the price point, um, that's kind of all connected because there's a lot of really nice actual like rod and reel and line packages between the 150 and $350 mark. And that's a really nice way to get you started. And you can normally try out whatever's in that package before you buy it. Like you can, they'll have them on the rack. I mean, you, and I highly recommend that you, if they'll let you, whatever shop you're getting it from, if you order it online, obviously that's not going to be an option. But if you have a chance to get outside and they'll let you cast it in the parking lot or whatever, maybe give you a quick lesson. That's a good way to get a cheap, quick lesson. Um, you should do it because you want to kind of see how the rod feels. Um, but, uh, but really you're not going to know what you're looking for. You're not going to know what you prefer. You're not going to know what you cast. Most rods out there are in, especially in that range are usually medium to fast action. Um, you're not going to want to start out with a noodle right away. So I wouldn't recommend you just jump right into a glass rod or anything. And maybe you want to, maybe that's why you're getting into it. 
Um, I do think the learning curve is going to be a little bit steeper, but I could be wrong and get crucified for that comment. Um, I started out with a more moderate action rod right in the middle, and that segued me into a glass rod. I really liked the way that felt. And then I've got friends who, you know, have gone up and went a little stiffer, a little faster action so they could shoot line and they could, uh, and they could catch bigger fish. So it really depends on what you want to do. And I definitely recommend not skimping on the price of the rod. The rod, it's not going to be the last rod you buy. Definitely not. You'll probably have five at the end of a couple years, <laughs> but you or at more. least or more <laughs> in different kinds, trying everything out. Uh, it's quite an addiction. Um, but I still fish my four weight. Mine's a mine that's not even being produced anymore. Mine's a I don't think mine's a Cabela's Vector. Um, and I still fish that rod. It's a 10 foot four weight and I love it. Um, but that's the rod I started casting on. So everything that I've bought after that's being compared to that rod. Um, and whenever you go with a buddy or anything like that, or find other people you're fishing with, you know, ask to, ask to cast their rod. Um, but yeah, I think that pretty much sums it up brand wise. Um, like I said earlier for me, the TF, TFO Reddington, you know, then there's your big box, your Bass Pros, your, you know, Cabela's and stuff like that. Um, Eagle, I think it, what is it, Eagle River or White White River or something White like that? River. Is, White, White River. is the kind of the new Cabela's brand. Um, those it's are not all, new. They've been around a while. Oh, has White River been around oh, a while? Oh, yeah, it's been around a while. Oh, okay. Um, I thought, I, I just noticed that they started carrying it, and I was like, oh, I'd never noticed this before. Um, but... You can find a you can find a quality rod out of any of those. Um, I wouldn't get like I think I started out with a prestige kit, like the bottom of the line kit, because I had to get waders and everything else. So I got the bottom of the line kit and I traded that back in within a week. Like it it didn't cast well. I was really struggling. I tried um, John Mudry's rod. He had a sage, and I'm like I'm all in on this. I got to get this rod. I could cast immediately better with it and. There's something to be said about that. Like if you can afford to go up a level on the package or up a level on the rod, even if it takes you a little bit longer to get the rest of it, spend the money on the rod. That's just my opinion. Well, and I so a couple things I will I would respond to that that you said. I think you know for someone just starting out, I would probably go a, at least one weight, maybe somewhere in the five to six range is what I would recommend if somebody's never never fly fish before and the only reason i think the the heavier line with a with a quality rod is going to help them learn to cast uh a little bit easier um when -hmm. you start and the main reason i say that's when you get down especially like into the three weights and less your casting distance is less and you know no, I hear what you're saying. I think you could just get a little bit. Someone just starting out, if they're casting a, a two or a three weight, they're going to be sitting there going, "Really? That's as far as I'm going to be able to fish." And that's not that's not always the case. Those rods are are typically for certain situations. Um, and I can, you know, I fished I fished three weight rods on the Chattahoochee River tailwater, which is, I mean, it's big water. Um, but you're not going to cast as far as you would with a, a five weight. The other thing that I would say, personally now looking back, 
I would recommend a medium action rod to start learning, but I would much prefer someone go with a slow action rod over a fast action rod. Um, and the main thing being, I think you learn to feel the rod, the line load a lot better with a slow action rod than you ever will with a fast action rod. And while people listening may not know what that means, if you, especially if you, you know, find someone to help you learn how to fly cast, they can, they can explain it to you and you'll, you'll, you'll get it pretty quickly. Um, trying to think if there's anything else there. Well, and by load, you be, when the, uh, just to, just one easy easy term to know is when a rod loads, that's when it's going back, and you feel the line, and you well, want to you want yeah, f- it's stored energy. Just yeah, for the for the, exactly. for the bow hunters, they'll get that that reference. It's stored energy. You're you're letting the rod do some of the work to actually cast that line. So when I know I know when a lot of people get a stiffer rod, they tend to line the rod up so they can get that. If they got a faster rod, they can get that. They can feel that load. Um, I tried a couple of TFOs, but they're, which are notoriously, that's Temple Fork Outfitter. They're notoriously pretty fast and they, they do make a couple smaller or lighter ones, but, or slower ones, but they really, they're, free, they're line shooters. They are. Sure. And, yeah. and you will, and I've done it. You will, especially if you're trying to cast like beadhead nymphs and streamers, you will thump yourself on the head and it hurts with that rod. Because it's so fast, your loops can be so tight mm-hmm. um, that you, you know, it, it, yeah, you just have to think about it. And um, I will toss this last thing out about the rods. Um, I think your, uh, your, your comment about the five and the six, now that I think about it, Steve, I don't know if I'd go with a six, but I could see why some people might. But a five, a five's kind of perfect just because if you do get into some bigger fish, you're going to, starting out, you're going to struggle with that four weight and tire them out more than they need to. Um, that five weight will get you into bass, you know, small mouth and large mouth. Um, it'll get you into, you know, your, your, your gills and everything else, your bigger panfish. I mean, you can, you can fill the gap a little bit better starting out than you will with a four weight. Um, so there's that too. I had to learn, learn kind of quick with that four weight, but yeah. And the only other rod I would throw into the mix that's worth looking into is the, um, and I'm not a huge fan of these rods all, to get, all, all in all, but the Orvis Clearwater is definitely a good entry-level rod. Um, the only Orvis rod personally that I think I would ever own is their, um, I think it's called a Superfine uh, glass rod. And I have cast one of those at a Orvis shop before, and I might, I would probably buy one of those, but I don't think it's better than the ones that Scott makes for me, so I doubt I'll ever own one, but it's not a bad rod. Mm-hmm. I don't think so either. I'd, I'd echo you on that, but, you know, there there's a reason why people pay a lot of money for them. They're, they're not bad. Yeah, and I've, I've I fished, uh, you know, Tom's got, uh, Tom's fly rods in Orvis, and I fished it quite a bit out in Wyoming. It's a good rod. It's just, I don't know, if I'm going to buy, if I'm going to buy a, um, a production made rod. I've, I've always loved the St. Croix. I've got a couple of those. Um, and I would probably look into a Sage if I was going to buy another, you know, big name brand rod, but I don't know that I ever will. Um, I really like the fiberglass rods I'm using now. Um, so with that, you know, you mentioned the, you mentioned a, a kit that, you know, as a rod and the reel, um, but if you're just buying a rod and not buying a kit, 
the next thing I think is probably the real that we should talk about. And uh, I already know where you stand on this, and I kind of echo the thing. Uh, the same thing is when you're just getting started out, the real is probably the least important component in this equation, in my opinion. Provided you buy a reel that's, that's matched to the rod, meaning it's appropriately sized for the rod that you buy, um, uh, it, 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 it holds line. That's really, it's not the way I fish, especially the, the smaller fish. I'm not using the reel to do anything but store my line. I'm typically retrieving using my hand. I'm using my, my fingers. If I need to apply, you know, tension for a drag system, I'm doing it with my hands and the, uh, the line sliding through my fingers. I'm just not, I'm not relying on the reel to do any of that. I don't need to. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't necessarily go with a $10 reel or something like that, but I think there's plenty of reels in the, I don't know, 40 to $50 range that will do any and everything it needs to do. And you can probably find some good ones cheaper than that. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's holding your line. That's, that's yep. all you need it to do. Now, that being said, I don't own a cheap reel. Every reel I've got is <laughs> is a, a machined aluminum. I think the cheapest reel I've got is an Orvis Batten Kill. Everything else I own is is uh, either Ross or Abel. And I've owned a T-Bore in the past. I, I sold it just because I never used it. It was a nine weight, and I, I never got the chance to use it much. But uh, those reels are very nice. They're durable. They're a one-time purchase. They'll last me a lifetime. I've got extra spools. I can move them between rods. But that was, even though I owned those reels, that was more of a want than it was a necessity. Uh, you know, quite frankly, anything will work. Um, the one thing that you have to keep in mind is if you're buying a a cheaper reel, those are typically cast aluminum reels and even some cases aluminum and plastic, um, they will break. If you drop them, there's a chance you're going to break something. So you might want to have a spare spool with you for that cost. You might even want to buy a spare reel, but you know, that is, that is a factor to consider. They, you know, you can break them fairly easily. Yeah. You, you really covered a lot of ground there. There's a couple of things to unpack. I really, that was a good description. Um, the one thing I would tell you other than what Steve said, well, there's a couple of things I'd tell you. I would highly recommend you get a large Arbor reel. Um, it doesn't stack the line. And what I mean by large Arbor is there's more width to hold the line. There's not the bat and kills more of a classic style. That's thinner. Um, unless they make them bigger now, but I'm pretty sure that design's been around for a really long time. That's well, a really I've, classic I've owned, reel. I've owned this one for, I don't know, 15 years or more probably. Yep, and those are click Paul, and they sound amazing. Um, that means they click when you reel and when the line goes out. Um, but the large arbor, especially for a beginner, and when you're stripping line in like that, it just it's easier to not make a mess it just it just i don't know and i also like the balance of the rod um when you're getting a reel don't get a massive five and six reel and stick it on a three weight or something like that you want the rod to balance out that will make a difference in your casting and your and the lever of your arm when you're casting um but the biggest thing is i like that i like that larger arbor um 
And I, they, they honestly, they make enough quality reels out there right now that are not cast, that are actually machined, that you can get into a nice one at 50 bucks. Um, on the other hand, some people are doing some crazy, uh, some companies like Reddington are doing awesome work with casting. I mean, they're really, they're really pushing it. Um, the Reddington Bohemoth is for larger fish for, you know, your eight, nine and 10 weight rods. People swear by those. Um, I was talking to a guy the other day that fishes red, you know, the red fins or whatever down on down South and, and tarpon and snook. And he, 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 all he uses are behemoths and they're tanks and those are cast. Um, and of course, when you get up into the bigger fish, your drag means a little bit more. But I think it's our, our, our good buddy from Mad River Outfitter that said in one of his videos, all the reels made today have more drag than you need at any level. And when you're just starting out, you're hardly going to get into the drag anyway unless you are going after bigger fish. Then sure, you might get, you'll get into the drag, but you don't need a you know, a really top quality drag. And most of the 40 to $50 reels these days have a nice drag. And again, more drag than you need. Um, there's a lot actually available for you right now. And I would highly recommend, um, if you're, if you're debating, I mean, life's too short to fish an ugly reel. There's a lot of good reels out there <laughs> that you could get in. And they're kind of the cooler, um, sexier part of fly fishing. Cause you see them more than anything else, you know, a rod's kind of small and, you don't get to see that as much, but when everybody takes those pictures, the reel really pops out right on the rod um, with that colorful line. So there's a lot of really nice reels out there, and Mad River does a really good job with video reviews, breaking all those down. I know when I was shopping for other reels, I really checked their videos out a lot, and they spend a lot of time on the cheaper brands and the budget stuff. And you should go check that out. They um, they have a bunch on there. and you know, they'll, they'll tell you in every single one, it's got more drag than it needs everything they carry. So you don't have to worry about that. Like Steve said, you're gonna be stripping in a lot of fish unless you're fishing a big fish. So really you just need something that holds the line for now, but I guarantee that you're going to want a bit, uh, another reel down the road. And the two reel idea ain't a bad deal either. And some brands like you're going to switch reels for line. Like at some point you're going to escalate when we get into lines, we'll talk more about it. But at some point you're going to escalate where you're going to want to have some lines that are for fishing dries, some reels that are, are lines that are fishing wet flies. Some maybe have a streamer set up and, uh, you'll want to change it up. There are some brands like Lampson that give you a reel and two spools and a kit where you can deal with all of that. But right now starting out, if you can find a kit, that's great. Or, something in the 30 to $50 range. And even, even Pisky fun is a, is a good, I got several Pisky fun reels and you can get those online. And those, those are good for the money too. And they get good reviews and they're also uh, machined. So just some, uh, some options out there for you. Well, and you know, I actually thought about mentioning, um, Brian and the gang over at Mad Rivers. I, you know, every time I deal with them, I'm, I'm just super impressed. Um, I would, I would love to support, you know, somebody local, but, and we've got some good fly shops here in Georgia. I'm not going to deny that, but, um, those guys just have always treated me right when I've called, when I've emailed, just no complaints. And I will say 
you know, you don't have to take everything that Nick and I are saying. I, I would almost say you probably shouldn't take everything Nick and I are saying as law because we're just, we're hobbyists, right? I can tell you what I've experienced over uh, many years fly fishing, but I don't, I don't do it near as much as somebody that runs a, a shop like Mad Rivers or if you've got a local shop that, that does guiding out of the shop and so forth. Um, you know, the, the fish hawk here in Atlanta, I've got a good friend down there and I would trust him definitely would trust him. In fact, I still want to get him on the show. Um, but you know, I, I've had really good results with Mad River and I'm going to continue doing business with them. But where I was going with that, pick up the phone and call, shoot them an email, tell them what you're going to be fishing, tell them the type of streams you think you are, the water you're going to be fishing. Um, and let them know that you're a beginner and get their, you know, get their insights, go in with a, with a, here's what I really have. I want to spend kind of attitude because they're going to want to know that. But, um, you know, don't take everything Nick and I are saying as, as law. I think we're probably giving some really good advice, but you know, somebody like that that does it every day may think of something that we, we are not. Um, so with that, uh, fly line and backing, backing is really easy for most situations. You're going on about a hundred yards of Dacron backing. Um, that's another thing that, you know, there's, there's definitely a reason to have it, but from for me, it kind of goes back to your Laura Barber discussion, Nick. The biggest thing for the backing is it increases the size of the spool so I can get my fly line in quicker. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I've ever – I've caught fish once or twice that got into the backing, um, but it's not very often, especially most of the trout fishing that I do. So, you know, a lot of people like really bright colors and contrasting colors with their fly line or their – are they real just to make it pop? But, you know, as long as it's a hundred yards of quality Dacron, you're good. Um, fly lines is a whole different discussion. And I guarantee you, if I t- said what my fly line of choice is, Nick would probably disagree and have his own personal. Um, <laughs> but you do want to find a good quality line. Um, there is one company that's been out for years that used to have really good stuff. And the last line that I bought from them, I was not impressed with them at all. Um, I'm not going to talk down about a, a line, but I will say that for the most part, uh, I don't, I think right now every reel and every spool that I have is loaded with Rio line of some form or factor. I really like the Rio line products. They've served me well, and I'm probably going to stick with them. So, um, I think for the first line, I would recommend a weight forward floating. Uh, beyond that, you know, do your own research, ask around as far as, uh, brands, but don't buy a cheap fly line. You'll be sorry. Yeah, I would echo that to a point. Um, I agree with you totally on the backing. Um, I've never, I've never been into the backing. Um, you know, if I got into some bigger fish, I would, but most of the fishing I do, I'm not going to get into the backing. Uh, I have, I think I started out with, um, well, I started out with the line that came with that Cabela's package and it was like the, um, Cabela's gold or whatever that is. And, uh, you could upgrade it to the premium line and most kits, they let you do that. Like they'll up, let you upgrade, they'll let you do whatever you want to do. Um, I've fished a lot of different lines. I've been line shopping the last few years and just trying different things out. And, um, I've ordered everything from the Pisky Fun lines to sh- to shadow lines that are dirt cheap online for like 20 bucks, um, to practice with in the yard and to, and to just beat up. And, um, 
I've tried the Rios and scientific anglers and all kinds of different things. In fact, I've got a couple different lines on different, on different, um, rods and I can't, and you know what? I can't even remember. I don't even know what's on my rod right now, to be honest with you. I think it, but I did, I did upgrade my line last year and I think I got the Rio technical trout. I think that's real. I'm not sure, but that was the first line I paid more than a hundred dollars for. And it was every, it was worth every penny. I mean, the difference, the, how slick it is. And it's just, you feel it. Um, I used to think that's kind of bull, but it's not, um, you really do feel it. I think I fished a shadow fly line, which again, that's like a $20 import fly line, um, with no bells and whistles and it'll get the job done. But Going from that to the other is is there's nothing even close. Plus, after like three months of the use, use that line that line was cracked and and already starting to go. And I mean, it didn't heavy use, and I didn't condition it that well, so it held up and did what it needed to do for a second line. I wouldn't say that it's a bad line, but if you do a lot of fishing, spend that money on that line. I would say that I mean, next to the rod, that's your next biggest purchase. Make sure you get a good line because that's going to help with your casting and your confidence and your mending and everything else that you're doing. I mean, you're going to, you're really going to notice that, that difference. And, um, it is a real technical trout that I'm fishing right now. And I really, really like that one. And I've, and I've done the scientific angler stuff too. And I really think that one's great. Um, they, in fact, they, they're, in my opinion, the scientific angler budget, um, lines, they make the best budget line I've, I've seen. And I've had other fly shops tell me that too. Um, from their experience, they, they make a good 40 to $50 line that really, that's got their, um, their technology into it. And it's really, it's really solid stuff. And I, I even tried, I had another Amazon line that I tried to, I don't know if it's, um, angler's dream, I think. And that's another one of those real cheap lines. But for a beater line, I was actually pretty impressed. And I've and I've had the Pisky Fun lines too, and I was pretty impressed with those for the money. But I wouldn't start with that. Um, normally, I would, you know, like the rod, I would say, you know, you start a little cheaper, you move into a more expensive one. But the line, start with what you can afford. Like, try to, try a line at the $100 level um, and just factor that into your purchase. Um, if you're going to buy a $250, if you got $250, $250 to spend, you know, you can pick up or 300 to spend, you know, you can pick up a, a $40 reel and then get your line and your rod and that, and that most of it should go to your, to your rod and your line. Um, and when you do pick up that line, I, I made this mistake. Like I took my, I took my lines into the shop and, uh, to have them spooled to put another line on or some new backing on or something. And they, they said, well, your line's really beat up. Do you condition this thing? And I'm like, what? <laughs> and they're like, condition it. Do you condition it? I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, well, do you clean it? I'm like, well, you know, I'll wipe it off. And they're like, well, do you use do soap or anything? Like, do you actually clean it? And they actually sold me on a um, conditioning kit, which are like $10. And I love that thing too. They just come with pads and it's this like solution. I mean, you could use soap too and, and Windex or whatever and clean that line. But you want to clean it when you get out of the water, especially if you're if you're fishing some dirty water. It will make your line last longer, and it'll keep that slickness, and it'll be a lot better for you. Um, but other than that, Steve, I agree with you. Wait forward. Um, I wouldn't worry about your sink tips and stuff right now. Even if you're fishing streamers, don't don't worry about a, a, a sinking fly line right now. For one, if you don't know how to how to, how to handle a sinking fly line, 
or a sink tip fly line, you could break the eye of your rod right off. So it, it takes a little get you cast different and it takes a little getting used to. Um, and I don't know if you've noticed that too, Steve, but that's a pretty good point because I wanted to jump right into a, to a sink tip line and have two going and they're like, why didn't you should learn to cast on a normal one first. And it's, Scott told me that. And he's like, once you switch, you'll see why. And you know, I ding the tip of my rod a couple times, my Cabela's rod, and you can see it. Like you got that plastic sinking line going through that thing and you don't cast the right way. You can break that right off. And you know, I've got a sink tip line on one of my, I think it's on my four weight and I, I, I think I've used it once. I just don't typically need it for the, the type of water I'm fishing. Same. Um, <clears throat> now, I may, um, excuse me there, I may bring it with me uh, in April. Now, I know there's some there's some deeper pools that I may try some, some streamers deep, but generally, unless you're fishing in really cold weather on most of the streams that I fish, you just, you don't have to get that deep. So, mm-hmm. Um, and you can get that down in other ways and one of them right. is tippet and we'll talk about that. Yeah. So, the, and that was kind of the next thing is, is, um, you know, you're going to need a leader and tippet. Um, you're probably going to have more to say on, especially the leader aspect of this than I will. Cause I'll be honest, I, I, I have used about everything and I can't tell you that I've ever really noticed a big difference. Um, probably the last few years, just because, I knew the company and they were readily available and reasonably priced. I've used various types of Rio leaders and been very happy with them. And for tippet material, I just, uh, I think I've got some, uh, I think most of mine are Umqua spools that I just keep on a little, uh, spool holder on my, on my rig, on my, on my vest or my, um, chest pack. So I don't have much to say about them. Uh, you know, you will need them. I don't, I don't, I really don't have much more to offer about that. <laughs> Heretic. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I do have a lot to say about them, but I'm not going to say them all right now because I don't want to confuse anybody. It's something you kind of have to learn. Um, there's a million videos out there on, on Tippet and leaders. Uh, and everybody's got an opinion on what to do, whether, whether a lot of people like, and it really depends on the kind of fishing you want to do. If you want to subsurface and do a lot of nymphing and have a couple nymph rigs and really get into that euro nymphing thing and if you don't know what that is you look it up you'll learn all about it um the it's kind of the the hardcore subsurface fishermen use that kind of setup where you're basically not even using the fly line at all except for something to to flip over your line and you're you're basically efficient fluorocarbon um because it's uh it's harder for the fish to see and whatnot and you can you can put like you know, some people fish with, you know, split shots and, and, you know, your strike indicators and all that stuff, but you're going to learn that. I just started. And honestly, I would recommend the same thing. Start out with just the normal, normal leaders. You can buy in the three packs, the ones that are, you know, get, get a few of them, get, you know, get some three X, some four X, some five X, like just, you know, depending on the kind of size of flies you're going to fish and, you know, talk to your fly shop, like Steve said, or watch some videos online. Like most of the fishing I do around here, the flies are around 14x, 14x, 16x, 12x. Like they're right in that area, um, and that's the size of the hook. And for that, you know, you're and depending on the weight of the rod and what you're gonna, you know, you you want a few different kinds of leaders, and you wanna and you want a few different spools of tippet in the, and you'll 
you'll want to match them up to make sure you're getting the best uh, you're getting the best cast and performance out of your rod for what you're doing. Um, when I first started out, I didn't know anything about that. I had a four X rod, so or a four weight rod, so I always bought four X leaders, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I figured that's what it was. And I fished like that for like three months before somebody told me like, I, "There's like, what do you what do you got on that thing?" And I'm like, "I got four, and then I get four X tippet." Four X leaders, four X tippet, four weight rod. <laughs> There's more science into it than that, guys. So make sure that you look into that. I don't have time to explain it all today, but absorb as much as you can and talk to your local shop and know what you're going to be throwing and and kind and what your rod is and kind of help let them help you match that line up. Um, but I'm usually pretty happy, even though the worst thing I hate buying tippet and I hate buying leaders. It's the least sexiest thing you can buy. Most people want to spend more money on line and flies and all that stuff, leaders and stuff. That's just a necessity, but it's really important in a lot of different ways. Um, and mainly because it's just helping with your presentation and it's helping with your cast. And obviously it's more important on the dry side. Um, unless you're really going into that nymph thing because presentation is very important. Um, but still on your drifts and everything like that, um, even efficient subsurface or, um, or middle of the, or middle, middle column there or swinging wets, you, you want to make sure that you've got a good, good setup there. And I will say that, you know, when I first started, I just used the normal, you know, just the normal floating line and whatnot. I didn't and tip it just the cheapest stuff you could buy. And when I started fishing, I, I fish a lot. I, I really swing wets and I fish nymphs a lot because I can do it anytime. Um, if I can't get out because of the kids and can't get out and sit up all night for a hatch or whatever I'm doing, then, or get out super early, I can nymph almost anytime. So I nymph a lot and I'm successful at it. And I do it a lot different than a lot of other people. I don't mess with strike indicators or anything like that. Um, not yet anyway. I probably will get into that. Once in a while I will, depending on the river. But most of the time it's all by feel. And I I got into fluorocarbon a couple of years ago. And fluorocarbon, it's, it's more expensive. But I think it's worth it. It sinks better, and I don't think the fish see it as well. And it really, it really made a difference. I started catching more fish when I when I moved to fluorocarbon. So I will say that you don't have to start out with it, but at some point, try for fluorocarbon tippet. Um, the last thing I will say there that will save you money if you want to mess with it are tippet rings. Um, they're just little teeny rings that you can tie your. Basically, you can fish your leader until the tippet part of it's gone, and you actually get up into the fat butt end of the leader. Um, and then tie a, uh, you can tie a tippet ring onto it, and then that kind of saves your leader until you totally beat it up and kink it or whatever, but that will save you leader money, and then you can just tie the tippet to that ring too. Some people hate it because they say it messes with their cast and their presentation, but honestly, it saves you money if you're fishing subsurface, and it does work really, really well. So, uh, that's something to look into, but and this is one of the most talked about parts of fly fishing. So just do your research and you'll be all right. And talk to people. Here, here. I agree with everything you said. <laughs> Steve's like, I just fish leaders. <laughs> well, I, I, I do. And it works for me, but again, you know, I think part of that depends on where you're fishing. Most mm -hmm. of the fishing I'm doing is they're stock trout. 
these aren't the brightest bulbs on the tree. I mean, you know, they're you, true. They can be same picky, here, <laughs> but it's you know, I, I just maybe maybe I should try the the fluorocarbon. Maybe I'd see a difference. I've never, I don't know that I've ever used a fluorocarbon carbon tippet. So you know, maybe that's something I should try and and see if I think it makes a difference. But um, I will say this: I think you know, I'm thinking about what I know we've got left to do. The only I think we're going to break this up into two episodes, Nick. Um, Sounds good. Because we still got several more things I want to talk about. I will say this. The one thing I don't think we're going to include in our list. So, you know, because um, I, I went back and forth on this one was, you know, waders or hip boots or any of that. You don't have to have that to get started fly fishing. No. So I'm going to leave those off the list. But we do still have... Uh, I want to talk about flies, and I think that's probably a good 30-minute discussion in itself if we Easily. break down. Because um, I would like to get into, you know, if you're just getting started, here's the, maybe it's five or six basic. Uh, maybe it's not even that many. Maybe it's three or four. Um, these are the, the dry flies that you can you can start out with, and you're going to be able to catch fish. Um, these are the nymphs. These are the streamers. So that's something for you to think about. You know, pick three or four. Um, and we'll talk about those next episode. We need to talk about the tools. There are some basic tools that I think you'll need. Um, and I may think of something else, but yeah, let's, let's wrap this one up and we'll do a two part on this and, uh, we'll get into the flies and the, the other necessities that you need on the next episode. Um, anything else you want to say before we wrap this one up, Nick? No, I think we covered a lot of ground in a shorter period of time. So I'm, I'm happy with it and I hope this helped everybody. Yep, and if you're listening to this and you have a thought or a question that you would like for us to pick up in part two, feel free to drop us an email or post something on the uh, Facebook community or Instagram or somewhere and just let us know uh, that you've got a follow-up question. And if we can, we'll try to work it into the part two of this episode. Until then, hope everyone's having a, a great winter. Looking forward to uh, to spring and, and trout fishing and chasing turkeys if you're into that silly stuff Um, and we will talk to you all we'll talk to you all in a couple of weeks take care everyone